30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. On this beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, it is the first Saturday in December. If you've listened to this broadcast any time in the last 8 or 10 years, you know that means it is the official kickoff to Christmas season. And we do that at the city of Prescott. They've got their annual parade along with the courthouse lighting. It's a wonderful time, wonderful family experience. It's a town that has that, as Robert Steve from Arizona Highways nailed it last week. We always tried to look for the word to describe it. He said that Charles Dickens America. It's that uh, perfect setting for getting in the Christmas spirit, which if you've grown up around creosote and sororos your whole life, can kind of be a hard season to get into. And the city of Prescott does a great job getting you in that Christmas mood. We also would like to take a minute and congratulate once again Overhead Garage Door of Tucson, the latest partner to our Rosie on the House contractor certified network. You have to be in business for at least five years, licensed, bonded, insured. You've got to go through a third-party review and survey called the Guild Quality. You've got to have uh, clear credit references. You've got to be clear, this is the hard one, references by your competitors. And you also get blind shop from Rosie on the house. You have to sign a code of ethics and a written complaint resolution policy. So getting on the network is no small feat. And we've got now a garage door company to service all of our Southern Arizona listeners. Overhead Garage Door of Tucson. Been in business serving Arizona since 1979 and are excited to be part of being every Arizona homeowner's best friend here at Rosie on the house. And this is the nine o'clock hour. It's open line hour. Questions to 411-923. And email, of course, at info at rosieonthehouse.com. If you have a question about a certain product or you need a picture to help describe what it is you're working on, snap it, a uh, photo on your cell phone and send it over at info at rosieonthehouse.com. And we also brought in a special guest this Saturday. A lot of times when we're out and about on these busy weekends, and being in Prescott and having that Charles Dickens America, we asked around for somebody that could speak to the architecture of the city of Prescott. And three different people, including Tom Riley of Renovations, which is our general contracting and renovation partner in Prescott, said the only person you need to start with is Bill Otwell. And we've got him on the line joining us this Saturday morning. Bill, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you. Talk to us a little bit about your personal history and leading up to this point in your life. Be glad to. Uh, graduated from the College of Architecture at ASU in 1973 and moved to Prescott in 1974 to really complete my final project that I had designed at ASU, which was a passive solar home uh, built out of native adobe using a solar greenhouse, solar water heater. And I built that home. It became one of the first uh, passive solar homes in Arizona and uh, continued to uh, explore the possibilities in, in Prescott. And along the way, looking for old adobe buildings, I kept bumping into these great historic projects. I met a woman named Elizabeth Ruffner, uh, who is really the grand dame of uh, uh, Arizona preservation and she uh, said, you better start working with these old buildings as well as building your new energy-efficient buildings. And so uh, along the way, I've restored a lot of the buildings on the courthouse plaza. 
and uh, continue to uh, do preservation work around the state and around the Southwest. And that preservation work, that's no small feat. You've got a lot of challenging things, and I'm going from a frame of when we remodel a home in a historic district, the amount of limitations that you have to keep something historic, yet everyone's goal in today's building is the best building materials and energy efficiency. You can't always match those two together. Yes, that's true. In fact, uh, early in my career, I really thought of myself as wearing two hats. One was the energy-efficient design hat, and the other was the preservation hat. And, of course, along the way, I've, I've learned uh, what uh, Carl Elefante, our current president of the American Institute of Architects, has said, which is the, the most sustainable building may be the one that already exists. So we've learned how to restore these buildings and improve the energy efficiency of them uh, at the same time. And why is that? What makes an existing building more efficient than starting from brand new? Well, everyone is different, of course, but there are a lot of uh, common things. One is uh, daylighting. Uh, Great historic buildings, a lot of the the buildings that we restore in Prescott are from around the 1900s, early 1900s, have great daylighting they tend to have a lot of south-facing windows whenever that's possible, so there's some passive solar gain. And uh, perhaps one of the biggest things is what's called the embodied energy, the amount of energy that it took to build that building, to quarry that stone, to make those bricks, all the labor, the transportation that went into building that building. That, build, that energy is basically embodied in that structure and if you were to tear it down and build a new, super-efficient, LEED-certified building, uh, you'd be throwing all that energy away. Uh, we've learned is that the amount of energy it takes to build a building is much, much more than the annual energy operating cost. So if you can just improve the thermal efficiency of a, an historic building, uh, you, you may be you know, 30 or 40 years ahead of the game from a total energy budget uh, standpoint versus tearing it down and building a brand new building in its place. And I selfishly asked that question because something we're faced with constantly here is people are doing improvements and projects to their home is going for a cheaper material that's going to last a shorter amount of time instead of investing in something that's going to last longer and stay out of the landfills or be a permanent solution instead of just a temporary lipstick job to get you know, a quick sale on a house flipped. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I I can't stand the amount of junk that gets manufactured and put into our homes. Well, that's really true. One of the most important things to me is to preserve the historic windows in a building. They give the, the building the character, especially when you're in the inside looking out through that Right now I'm looking out through a window that's 112 years old, and I have restored all the windows in this building, and and I did so 30 years ago. They're still fine. Uh, Some of them we had to totally replace the sash. Many of them, though, on the north side still have the original wavy glass versus uh, a vinyl replacement window that, if it gets too hot in the warehouse in Phoenix, is going to warp before you even get it in the building. So. That's a, uh, those are some of the important things that I like to, 
to save whenever I can. And we look at the uh, really two major things. One is the significance of the historic element. Is it an original window or an original uh, plaster wall or original moldings? So that that's uh, significant. And then the other thing is the integrity. What kind of shape is it in? Can we restore it? Can we keep it? Or is it so far gone that we have to replace it? And in preservation, there's a lot of situations we end up where we've got to make a decision that doesn't financially make sense, but the value that a preserved and historic home can bring to a neighborhood makes it then worth that investment where you may never get your dollar returned on this upgrade that you're doing to the historic home, but to maintain the home and the structural integrity and you know the basic functionality of living in a home it makes sense because you keep the historic preservation of the home. Well, yes, I think it's uh, similar to restoring an antique automobile. If you have the original radiator cap and maybe the serial numbers on the engine match the serial number on the frame, uh, that makes it more valuable. I think it's true with with buildings as well. And oftentimes uh, we can achieve similar our values to uh, new buildings by insulating these buildings. The, the building that I'm in now had a, a hollow cavity in the exterior wall, so we filled it full of foam, and, and uh, the attic had no insulation in it. We foamed that, and so our, our envelope, our values are similar to what we would do with a new building. And a well-designed building and I know we're designing them a lot different than we were 130 years ago than the building you're sitting in. Uh, how long should it last? I mean, with the building science they had 130 years ago in the 1800s, how much longer do you think this building will be structurally sound? Uh, that's probably the biggest thing we had to do when we restored this building in, uh, in the late 80s and that was uh, adding a significant amount of structure. Uh, The floor spans were too great. They were two by sixes, two feet on center, 16 feet long, and I had to put extra beams under the floors on both the first and second floors. We had to beef up the roof trusses a little. But the walls are perfectly fine. Uh, We didn't have to do anything to the walls other than add the insulation. And uh, I think I think the building can have an indefinite lifetime. Uh, you know, we make sure we keep the termites out of it. And uh, I'm still on the same roof that I put on 30 years ago, but I put a uh, an aluminum coating on the roof every 10 years. And uh, that that's that's a 30-year-old roof. It it it's going to go another 10, 20 years easily. We're talking with Bill Atwell. Bill, for everyone listening, I completely jumped right into the interview because I was so excited to get to the content. But uh, the name of your firm? It's Otwell Associates Architects. And you're a licensed architect for both the state of Arizona and? Uh, I'm also a fellow in the American Institute of Architects. More with Bill Otwell here at Rosie on the House right after this, talking about what it takes to become and get registered as a historic home, as well as some of the iconic ones that you, the Arizona homeowner, could 
put into your daily routine to go check out and appreciate a little bit of Arizona history. Continuing our conversation about historic preservation of commercial and residential homes with Mr. Bill Otwell of Otwell Associates, the small town architect for the town of Prescott, but also uh, works throughout the entire state as well as Utah. And what does it take to get into a historic home or get your home listed on the historic registry? I, I hate to think about it, but homes that were built about the time I was born are probably close to qualifying for that now. <laughs> yes, uh, that is that is one qualifier uh, age. Uh, the magic number there is 50 years uh, for any historic structure to become eligible for the National Register of Historic Places, unless something really significant happened there, you might be able to get it in less than 50 years. And uh, the National Register is a a nomination process, and it is reviewed by uh, the State uh, Historic Sites Review Committee in the uh, State Historic Preservation Office. And then it is is also reviewed on a national level by the National Park Service. The advantage of national register nomination is you are then eligible for the 20% investment tax credit, uh, which you can take on your rehab expenses if it's a certified historic building and if your proposed work is certified. Uh, On the local level, a lot of communities in Arizona have local preservation districts so you can be listed as a contributor in a local district. We have uh, quite a few local historic preservation districts in Prescott, and it depends on the whole neighborhood and what makes it you know, a significant uh, resource. So the Courthouse Plaza is one. Uh, the Queen Anne and Victorian homes up on uh, Knob Hill are another. And then we have bungalow courts that are uh, also local districts. Uh, that designation requires you to go to the Preservation Commission if you're making any, any modifications to the structure. In a lot of the homes we've seen today and some of the work we've done, we'll be remodeling a home that we remodeled 20 years ago, whether they just got bored with what they had and they wanted to update or a new homeowner moved in and completely gutted it and ripped it out. Is there something in, in those cases, would they then be disqualified at the 50-year mark of being registered as a historic home? I mean, is, is there? it sounds like there's improvements you could do, or if you did a complete down-to-the-one-brick-and-rebuild, you're starting over. Well, uh, yes. Uh, they, they would probably not be delisted. Uh, it, if it's in a historic district, you really can't pull the building permit unless the Historic Preservation Commission approves of what you want to do. Uh, from the national uh, preservation level and, and the uh, being on the National Register and taking the tax credits, you basically can't modify that building for five years until you've used up all your tax credits, and then you could make changes. But I think that's one of the interesting things about historic buildings. Uh, we have the old uh, LDS church here that was built in 1929. I did a complete uh, certified rehab for the tax credits on that building in 1983 for use as an office space. 2013, 
30 years later, I got to do it all over again for the Natural History Institute. So what I did in 83 is I built sort of a ship in a bottle. I created these offices inside these larger church spaces, sanctuary and social hall. And in 2013, I took half of of what I put in there in 83 out and opened the whole thing back up to some degree to make it work for the Natural History Institute. 30 years from now, uh, I won't be doing it, but someone could do it again and create a whole nother use for that building. And uh, that that is all allowed. I think there's a missing piece here in my mind. So there's a historic district and a historic building. Can you have a historic building outside of a historic district? Or is it area then designated historic district and therefore the homes and buildings inside that district become listed on the historic registry? It's, it's really all of those things. You can have a single building district. Um, we have a couple in, in Prescott where the building itself was significant enough that it's its, its own uh, local district and also individually listed on the National Register. We also have other areas where, like the Courthouse Plaza, is a local district, and it's also uh, what's called a multiple resource area listing. The entire Courthouse Plaza is listed on the National Register. So uh, whatever's appropriate to the, the resource and uh, how homogenous it is and, and how much each building contributes, you can also have historic districts where some buildings are listed as contributors and some are listed as non-contributors because they're not old enough or they weren't built in a compatible style to the other buildings in the district. And the courthouse district, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about next segment, and particularly for those of you that may be headed up to the parade today, it's just about 9.30. You can still get to Prescott from virtually anywhere in the state of Arizona, so long as there's not a major road closure or accident. And we'll talk about the different things you can look for uh, architecturally as you walk around the courthouse square, because each each street does have its own unique buildings, its own unique uh, architecture, and we'll bring you a, a little bit of enhanced knowledge about what structures you're looking at and the history behind them with Bill Otwell, located on 121 East Goodwin Street in Prescott, and that's the South Street of what makes up the Courthouse Square. On this beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, we spend our time in Prescott. Uh, if you do have a question on home improvement, you are welcome to call it in. This is the open line hour, one 767 4348 You can text 411-923 or send an email to info at rosyonthehouse.com. We've got a very special guest this hour, so we may answer your question off the air. It may not be a live uh, radio interaction, but we're still happy to help you uh, with any projects you have around your house, home, castle, or cabin. And if you're just joining us, we have Bill Otwell, the, the principal of Otwell Associate Architects, talking about the preservation of old homes, and in particular where he's done a lot of work, Prescott, and this Saturday, first Saturday in December, of course, that means it's the uh, Christmas Day Parade and the courthouse lighting, and we're going to talk about the historic buildings around the courthouse. Bill, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Okay, thanks. Uh, the uh, The courthouse and the plaza was established 1864 when President Lincoln sent uh, the first governor's party to the territory of Arizona. They, they came from Ohio and the original 
governor appointed by President Lincoln was John Gurley. Unfortunately, he died in Ohio before he got here. So John Goodwin was uh, the next appointed governor. So the streets that run east-west on the, on the plaza were named after those two original territorial governors. The streets that run north-south, Montezuma and Cortez, were named after characters in William Hickling Prescott's book, A History of the Conquest of Mexico. And William Prescott was a well-known American historian, and so the governor's party named this new community uh, after him. That's how we got the name Prescott. They built a small brick courthouse in the center of a one-block square, like you would see in the Midwest, since that's where they came from. And then uh, the current courthouse we have was built in 1916. It replaced the uh, the 1864 courthouse, and that's the one that we've recently restored over the last couple of years. As we go around the plaza, there's so many buildings that have different stories. Uh, Can I ask you a question? One, there's a lot of rumors and even a book designated to all the tunnels under the courthouse square. Is any of that true? Uh, not really. The The true story of the, quote, tunnels, unquote, is they were basement-level shops. And as the town grew uh, and the uh, wooden boardwalks were replaced with concrete sidewalks, they cast uh, the the concrete sidewalks as structural slabs over the top of these basement-level shops. And you can still get into these areas that look like tunnels now, and what you'll see is, the, in some cases, the old storefronts that still have the names of stores and different things on gold leaf on the windows. But it's a storefront that looks at a, <laughs> a blank wall under the sidewalk. So they were really not built as tunnels, they became tunnels as the town grew. Okay, so back to the square. We're on the corner of Cortez and Goodwin Street. Uh, starting, we'll start uh, at the U.S. Postal Service. Right. That's one of our newer buildings on the, on the square. That's actually 1934, I believe, uh, federal courthouse on the top floor and post office. And then as you go across the alley, you come to the uh, Chamber of Commerce, which was the first restoration that we completed on the courthouse plaza. And this is a building that was covered in stucco and schist rock and had been added on to many times. We stripped all that off and exposed the original tufa stone facade uh, that goes back to the 1880s. And it was one of only three buildings that survived the fire of 1900 around the plaza. So a uh, very significant historic building, and that's kind of, that, that is where the preservation movement started, was with that particular building and the Chamber of Commerce willing to double their budget after I told them what I, I thought we should do to totally preserve it. And then as you go around the corner, you're on Whiskey Row, and most of the buildings on Whiskey Row were built in 1900 and 1901 after the fire of 1900 that well, it wiped out most of the town, actually, but certainly that entire block. It's still Montezuma Street. When and where did it get the nickname Whiskey Row? Well, in the teens and 20s, when uh, the, the cowboys would, would come to town on, on Saturday night, uh, from all around the neighboring ranches, 
there were four, 40 bars from the depot house down by the train depot down on Sheldon up to uh, the Juniper house at the top of the hill. And so that was the... Uh, that was the main form of entertainment, was to start at the bottom of the row and work your way to the top. You'd think if they were smart, they'd start at the top and work their way to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it got its name. Uh, saloons and bars and uh, the palace is the building that kind of anchors that whole block in the middle of the street with the the palace bar downstairs, which is now a restaurant, and then the old uh, hotel upstairs, which is uh, Jersey Lily's Saloon. And I've worked on most of these buildings on the row, and again, we've always tried to preserve all the original doors and windows, moldings, uh, pressed metal ceilings. Occasionally, we get an original tile floor. A few years ago, uh, partway down the row, there was a fire at the old birdcage, and the, and the two businesses that were on both sides of it burned that whole structure down. The fire department was able to save the row this time, and uh, we turned that uh, open space where the where the fire was into the holiday courtyard. Beautiful uh, courtyard, by the way. I had no idea you had anything to do with that, uh, setting up this interview. Y'all, y'all did a fabulous job with that. Well, thanks. It's a great outdoor venue. And the owners, Howard and Nancy Hinson, actually own the building due south of it, which has the Grand Highland Hotel on the top floor. And oftentimes when people will schedule a a wedding there in the courtyard, they'll rent the whole hotel, which is another part of the restoration that we did after the fire. And then the downstairs has been a retail jewelry shop, and those people did not renew their lease, and so we're turning the downstairs into an indoor meeting facility to complement the outdoor courtyard when when we may get an occasional rain or something. So that's actually, those plans are in the building department uh, right now, so have it ready for uh, the summer for the State Preservation Conference. And the Grand Highland Hotel is only one of two hotels on the courthouse square itself. Right. Uh, Down at at the north end intersection of Gurley and Montezuma is the St. Michael Hotel, and uh, they've got a great ground floor bistro and coffee shop and uh, a lot of shops, kind of a little mini mall and underneath there. And then, of course, uh, the hotel rooms up above. That one has also been restored over the years. And then across the street from that, on the other side of Gurley, is uh, the Wilson Block, which is one of these incredible projects that over the years it, it had been stuccoed and then it was covered with aluminum siding. And we took all that off, restored all the original windows. And that is just a, a fantastic building to see what was just an aluminum box come come back to life with all the the scale and proportion of the of the, the original windows and all the daylighting that that brings into that building now. And you call that the Wilson block? That is the historic name. Then along you know all these streets of course look right onto the plaza along uh Gurley Street we have the Bashford building and a number of different uh historic buildings most of which have have been restored. We only have a couple that that still need some work. And, and of course, they are full of businesses, uh, Prescott Brewing Company. and Lone Spur Cafe. You can't leave them out. Incredible place to have a meal. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, the bank building is on the corner. And then so when you get to 
to the corner of Gurley and Cortez, uh, you have three bank buildings on on the three corners, and then the uh, Masonic building uh, north of that, and then the end of Cortez, two blocks down, is Murphy's Restaurant and uh, the train depot, which we restored uh, quite a few years ago. It's ni- it's a 1908, one of the first first poured concrete buildings in Arizona. And then working around back to where we started is the Knights of Pythias building, and they were a group similar to the Elks Club where they built, uh, it was the first skyscraper in Arizona, 73 feet tall, three very tall stories uh, with uh, an art gallery on the ground floor, a second floor is offices, and the third floor is a meeting room, which is the way the Knights of Pythias originally set it up where they had their space on the top floor, and uh, they they leased out the rest of the space to offices and, and retail. And this has all been just around the courthouse square. I mean, every block beyond this, and in some directions, several blocks, the number of historic sites that can be seen are, are extremely numerous. We were doing the research, and it said something to the extent of 800 homes uh, in Prescott. Or 800 structures are on the historic registry, and I'd I'd say you'd probably be close to 10 percent of them are within this two or three blocks right here. Yeah, that's true. For example, uh, if you if you head uh, east on Gurley uh, and and you go up what's called Elks Hill, which when it was part of the state highway system was the steepest stretch of highway in the entire state of Arizona at 9% grade. Uh, you have the Elks Theater, which has been, we fully restored that, the Elks Theater. The uh, inside of that have, is f- phenomenal. It, it, The closest thing I've ever seen to it, and I haven't done a lot of uh, theater touring, but it felt very much like when I went and saw the Ford Theater in D.C. at our 8th grade graduation. Yes. Uh, it's a uh, 1903, and, uh, you know, a big part of this story that I haven't mentioned yet is we have this incredible historic photo collection at Charlotte Hall Museum, and uh, it's, it's probably one of the finest photo collections in any community in Arizona. And we had absolutely perfect high-resolution historic photos of what the interior of the theater looked like and the and the exterior marquee. So when we restored the theater, we were able to go buy that. Uh, over the years, it had been converted into a movie theater, and a lot of the detail plaster work, the plaster elk heads and all the elaborate detailing was gone. But we had the fantastic photos to replicate everything from. And that's pretty much been true with most of the buildings that we've restored in Prescott. The Hacienda Hotel is right across the street from the Elks. And that's another one where we had wonderful photos of patios, individual rooms, the lobby. And I'll, I'll have you elaborate on that a little bit more. The Hacienda Hotel is near and dear to our hearts. It's where Amanda and I had our honeymoon after we got <laughs> married. And had, a, had a wonderful time just spending a couple days there. Uh, not even having to get in the car and drive. We just were able to walk to do everything, including a, a little bit of exercise and hiking through the the pathways that are there. We're joined by 
Bill Otwell of Otwell Associates Architects. Wrapping up a, a little segment on historic preservation here at Rosie on the House right after this. Well, I apologize, Bill. I had just interrupted you as you were going into a conversation about all the work that had been done at the Hacienda Inn. Yes, the Hacienda Inn was built in 1927 specifically to put Prescott on the tourist map. Uh, Henry Trost was the architect, and he had, he had designed uh, the Franciscan in uh, Albuquerque that really put Albuquerque on the uh, tourist map, constructed of red brick. His initial design that he brought to the citizens of Prescott was an adobe-looking uh, hotel, something like what he did in uh, Albuquerque. And the c- citizens of Prescott basically sent him back to the drawing boards and said, you know, we're, we're from uh, the Midwest. We like red brick. And that's what this building is built out of. The uh, tower at the entrance was, uh, was just illuminated so people could find it. Uh, there's no access to that tower. There's no stairway going up to it. Beacon, a beacon. Uh, Here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's one that we uh, restored, got it on the National Register, got the tax credits for the owner. If you can get a seat, probably the finest meal in town there at the Peacock Room. Yes. Yeah. We uh, restored all those rooms. A lot of them had drop ceilings with mechanical equipment in them. And so we took all that out and created a whole new boiler chiller system where we could just run small diameter pipes to air handlers in each room. So uh, we were able to pop all the ceilings back up and restore the hand-stenciled ceiling in the lobby and and the other rooms. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that, that's a state award winner, of course, and uh, is, is really in some ways uh, considered the, the community's living room. The big lobby looks out right across the girly at the Elks Theater, and in some of our nicer events, uh, they'll actually close girly and run a red carpet across the street to, to go over to the theater for an event and then come back for a reception at the hotel. So, And then right around the corner is the old Mountain States Telephone Building, which is a beautiful terracotta art deco. Actually, the term that's used is Pueblo deco. It's sort of an art deco with a southwestern twist, and that is now part of the Haciampa, and it's a meeting room called the Marina Room where people can book that for weddings or any kind of small meetings. And our hope with this hour in this interview that you could take the podcast perhaps and walk around the courthouse square later this afternoon when you arrive for uh, whether it be the parade or you're killing time before the courthouse lighting and just hear all the different stories and features and things that were done, meander in and out of these buildings, see these features that we're talking about and have an appreciation for some of the historic value here in Arizona. And Bill, I, all these buildings can run together sometimes. Is there one standout one that we're missing or that was in one of these we've already covered that we just need to, to highlight that one little extra special bit? Well, I do have one. When you're at the Hacienda Hotel, you're on the corner of Gurley and Marina Streets, and just east of the hotel is the Prescott Station Restaurant, and just east of that is the Octagon House, which is one of the oldest buildings in town. Dr. Day was a Civil War surgeon, and uh, he, re- he read a book by a guy named Orson Fowler about the advantages of living in an octagon. 
and he built the Octagon House in 1877, one of the oldest buildings in town, one of the oldest red brick buildings in the state of Arizona. In 1985, I restored it for a doctor from Newport Beach that wanted the tax credits. The building uh, was in really bad shape. It was abandoned. It was, it, it was starting to collapse in some areas. And we did a full restoration. I moved my offices in there. And then over the years, there have been a number of different uses. One of the great things about these historic buildings is people love them so much that they'll, they'll live with all kinds of uh, things that maybe you wouldn't live with in a new building just to occupy them. So it's been a dental office. I had my architectural office. It's currently a real estate office. It really took a lot of serious work. And then uh, 20 years after we restored it, uh, they had a furnace go out and they replaced the furnace and it was improperly wired at the factory and it, it burned the place that night. So that's another one I got to restore twice. Mm. Put it back together with the fire insurance money. <laughs> What a little piece of Arizona history. If somebody wanted to get involved or learn more, is there a way to help support historic preservation of these great buildings and structures that are just part of our, our Arizona heritage? Yes, there are a number of ways. State Historic Preservation Conference and uh, Archaeology Conference will be held in Prescott this year, the early part of June, and the State Historic Preservation Office is uh, organizing that whole thing now. Uh, I'm going to do a, a walking tour of uh, basically the area we've just talked about, Historic Prescott. The uh, Arizona Preservation Foundation is the statewide organization, and the uh, uh, Yavapai Heritage Foundation is the local uh, historic preservation advocacy group. So uh, those those two could could be a good place to throw your support to. Well, Mr. Atwell, I cannot uh, thank you enough for your time this Saturday morning. Gary will make sure all those links are live on our podcast archive page so your listeners can find a quick, easy links for those. It's Atwell Associate Architects, 121 East Goodwin Street. If you've got a question or need a little bit of direction on the preservation of a building or a structure that uh, you're involved with, it would be a great resource of information for you. And thank you for being a, a great resource of information for Arizona homeowners and enjoying our great state of Arizona. My pleasure. Thank you.